0: Welcome to the Eventful Entrepreneur. My name's Dodge. I've been an entrepreneur for over 30 years and thrown thousands of parties across the UK. And I'm also the owner of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival. Everyone who knows me knows I love people. Having a laugh and asking lots of questions. So I've been chatting to people with one thing in common. They've all lived eventful lives. This week I'm delving into the eventful life of Andrew Pritchard. Andy went from a big name in the illegal rave scene to one of the most prolific drug smugglers of modern times. In the first of a two-part podcast, we chat about his massive warehouse raves in London, how he evaded the police for years, the moment his lifestyle caught up with him and when he was forced to go on the run to Jamaica. Andy's had one of the most eventful lives of anyone I've ever spoken to and this podcast is just half of the story. If you want to hear more like this, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. And if you want to get in contact with me personally, you can get me on Instagram under Dodge Woodall. I reply to every message. Here is the man himself, Mr. Andrew Pritchard. Andy, welcome to the show, mate. Hey, Dodge? Good to see you. Yeah, mate, blind up. Let's um, let's get cracking. Let's roll all the way back. Where did you grow up and how did you get into the uh, events industry?
1: Okay, so... I grew up in Stoke Newington, North London. Um, My parents, my mother was Jamaican. She came in 1951. Uh, She met my father in 1958. Basically, uh, they lived above a club, which was the first actual West Indian club there was in London. It's called the Pepper Pot on 60 Green Lanes. And um, in 61, they bought their first house um, and a road just off of the high street. Um, I was born in 66. And, uh, you know, I kind of hit the road running, you know. I grew up in the manor. Stoke Newington, and Hackney, uh, back in those days, wasn't exactly a desirable place to live. Yeah. Um, you know, the old saying was, even the dogs carries yeah. know knives. I mean, it was quite a dangerous yeah. place. Um, and, you know, I grew up. I've, I suppose I got a love for music very, very early in my life. And uh, the way I could express myself was obviously, you know, getting involved, not as a musician, but... I used to like the idea of, um, equipment. I like the idea of DJing and like the idea of actually, you know, being a technician of sorts, you know, and, uh, it was dominantly black area, um, being mixed race. I uh, drew a love for reggae music, yeah. um, of my early years. And, um, it wasn't long. I remember on the road, it was a great little, um, little combustion of streets, you know, they brought a lot of talent for it and, um, Two guys on my road, two of my close friends, we said we're going to set up a sound system one day. Um, On the adjacent road, we had um, uh, two twins. We knew Carl and L. Hyman. They went on to, um, well, Carl did, went up to set up a label called Shut Up and Dance. And uh, there was Kevin. Um, Kevin, Dr. K, he got called, you know him as DJ Hype. Yeah. so that was a little group of us that basically had our little sound systems and of course there was trevor nelson as well who yeah. lived on the opposite road as well who went on to do input export with richard music yeah. and uh yeah it was a journey i remember speaking to kevin the other day about you know how it all kind of started and they were about 14 we was a year up on them 15. um there was a builder's merchant just at the back where we lived uh one night they climbed over the fence Stole a bit of um eight before chipboard, carried it on their heads through the flats because them days the Stoke Newton police were pretty ruthless. Not that they're not now, but yeah. they were terrible. You know, if you were caught on the street, you know their entertainment was the SPG would grab you off the street and beat the life out yeah, of you, yeah, and yeah. leave you on the <laughs> sidewalk. So uh, they crept back with a sheet of chipboard, got a friend's um a dad's uh, jigsaw, sawed it up first speaker box was made, and then before sort of we knew where we were going, um amongst us you know what I mean we had two different sound systems ours was called Mellow Magic theirs was called um, Selena. we started putting on events so we started off we'd go into you know houses derelict houses on the estates clean them up you know they were terrible shitholes you know what yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. but you'd do the best to tidy what them up what are we up.
0: talking here we're talking late 80s we're mid talking 80s.
1: very early 80s early 80s we're talking, okay. yeah, so I was 15 years old yeah. I was born in 1966 so that gives you an idea yeah. you know we're talking about 81 you know and um so we'd go in now, what we'd do is we'd, we'd make a makeshift bar, we'd go to the off-license at the time, you know, have a deal with the owner. So we'd get like various drinks, tenants and, you know, all kinds of other like, beer and baby sham and yeah. some spirits, make a ba- makeshift bar with those, <clears throat> charge obviously, you know, a, a pound, I think it was a pound a tin of beer, something like that, and about a pound a shot of drink. And uh, charge £3 a mission. So we'd have someone at the door, at the gate, and we'd play music. And sometimes we'd also put on events with other sound systems. They'd be, like, challenging, you know? Yeah. And uh, those would be really good. We used to get, like, I think, 500 flyers printed. We'd give those out during the day in the market, wherever the girls were, wherever people were. We'd give them flyers and hope for the best, you know? Yeah. Back then, you know, if you made £30, it was a... Happy you know, days. you'd hit the jackpot. Yeah. And... Uh, that's where we started, you know as an entrepreneur from a very early age, putting on an events, and um that was really my entry into the into the industry yeah. you know sort of you know hit the road running. It was really funny because actually um it's it's not a new concept, you know when my mum and dad um lived at the pepper Pot club above the pepper mm. club it was nineteen fifty eight you know them days you had a gramophone and it was exactly replica, you know okay. you had like the makeshift bar. In days they used to um, get the old tins of Pepsi and lace it with liquor yeah. with the old Scotch and that. Yeah. You know, you sold them from under the bar because you'd never get a drink license. Yeah. A dance license itself was a nightmare. And uh, they played old music on the gramophone and had people come in. So if you think about it, the progression moved on, the sound system became more advanced, yeah. and there was sounds playing. There were a lot of clubs where I lived, you know, um, urban, black music clubs, yeah. and they were based around sound systems, and there was music was moving as well. lovers Rock was a very popular thing. Yeah. It was the first time Britain had produced its own reggae. Yeah. You know, this stuff was actually being made here and produced there. I remember when we used to buy our records originally on, you know, some of the record shops. Where they were pressing seven inch records, you know, what they used to do was have them so as hollow center, like they come from Jamaica, yeah. and actually rub curry powder on the outside <laughs> <that> boxes right? <laughs> to trick you to let you fit the box, the record's have been freshly imported, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so we were there at the beginning of that, and then the music started to change.
0: And the music, was, when you come on the scene, you, you were taking the dance music
1: yeah well Is that, that the came, direction you wanted to came take later. later the dance music came later yeah. you know how the journey started it started really with the sound systems and there were like love us rock there were reggae sound systems then you had soul sounds and we were moving into the soul sound um era and soul sounds came about really you know there were specialist djs who started to realize music you know the, the value of music you know it was like rare groove so there were Elements of Rare Groove, you know, there were guys like Trevor Nelson, there were guys like Norman Jay, you know, who set up Shake and Finger Pop. Yeah. They original originally set a reggae sound system, you know, uh, Great Tribulation. And some of the sounds were now turning into Rare Groove sounds. And you had other specialist um, event promoters like Nicky Holloway. He used yeah. to do something called Do It The Zoo. Yeah. That was Special Branch. He called his gig, ironically. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so the scene was moving in into Rare Groove. And they were called Soul Blues, you used to put them back then. Yeah. And they were pretty much... What warehouse parties became It was the first generation of breaking into property, being somewhere illegal and playing to a mixed crowd. Because with reggae events, they were you did have, you know, had a, a, a certain amount of, you know, uh, white people, of different nations would come to those predominantly mm-hmm. black. But then as the music started to change and they became more sort of, you know, socially acceptable, cosmopolitan, you found a far greater mix suddenly coming in, you know of people and it was much, you know, it it seemed a lot lighter atmosphere in terms of, you know, how people were going, out to enjoy themselves. Mm. There wasn't that kind of, you know, potentially you tread on someone's shoes, you're going to get stabbed. And that was like at some of the clubs, like the Four Aces and, you know, Phoebe's. These were clubs, that were you know, notoriously known to be very dangerous places, you know. And, um, yeah, we started with that. Soul Blues has become popular. That was around about 85, 86. Um, This was pre-Acid House. Um, But then, of course, it was Acid Hass and that whole genre of music which landed here that sort of changed it. And that really became, you know, um, not only a, 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 a global movement musically, it became a revolution, you know, in British, you know, music and culture. Yeah. You know, nothing could be seen since punk rock. Mm. It's fair to say, you know, punk rock was a, you know, something that Britain had give birth to. Yeah. Acid Ass effectively, we never gave birth to it, but it could pretty much say it was found its home here in England. Yeah. And um, I never forget, you know, it came to me by complete accident. Uh, my parents had a shop, an off licence in Hackney, Hackney Wick. Um, I used to sometimes help out there. Uh, my mum desperately wanted me to. Do something constructive but i had a sound system at the time i yeah. used to hire equipment as well like pa effectively and some friends came in one day and said look we've got an event coming on hand you know would you uh you know supply the sound mm-hmm. system for it so i thought why not give it a crack so um i said where's the address they told me the address was so i turned up there and i tell a box of rare groove records a couple of decks just you know set the system up anyway one of thems walked in the room he's got, he's got a fucking strobe light i was like okay never Introduce yeah. lights. Lights yeah, was not yeah, part yeah. of the deal, you know? Yeah. Anyway, uh, literally, the place was completely empty and they brought their own DJ as well. So we were sitting there and then I thought, no one's going to turn up to this thing. What's yeah. going on? All of a sudden, must have hit about 12 o'clock. There was a mighty mob of people just come crashing through the door. Um, the place was absolutely jam-packed. And then, of course, it was a scene I'd never seen before because the music was acid. Yeah. And uh, everyone was just literally sweating, pouring, peeling off their shirts with <laughs> these bandanas and Converse <laughs> shoes and smiley face T-shirts. Yeah. And it went through. And, I mean, they I were trying "acid," And they were all really going for it. And I thought, what the fuck is this? I've never seen anything like it in my entire yeah. life. Anyway, when it finished, it was like, take a breath. And um, I thought, wow, that was completely madness. Of course, what had happened was the scene had begun. It was at the Camden Palace. They yeah. had a night, they called Smile. And other stuff was going on. Nicky Holloway had started the uh, trip, yeah. which is his story. Danny Rampton had started the show. Um, And there were a few places, basically, that, you know, they'd brought a certain scene across from Ibiza with them that yeah. summer. Yeah. And they started to plant, <clears throat> plant clubs. But, of course, the clubs finished like, you know, respectable hours yeah. and of course people still well, were high on ease. Yeah. They wanted to go on. So it then emerged, you know, from and the what first, age what
0: age were you what age were you now?
1: I was about nineteen okay. at the time, you know. So I was relatively at an age basically where, you know, I knew about the scene, I knew about the music, you know, yeah. not just that genre of music, yeah. but I was, you know, sort of accomplished on putting an event. So I was yeah. accomplished in that sort of in, in, in that space. And um You know, the next week, another event, this time they'd found a warehouse, and of course, you know, no sensible, um, ordinary, um, law-abiding PA company is going to go in a broken-in warehouse. But of course, I was game because i have been doing this from the age of 15. So... They found a place Cleveland Way back at Who's they? Who's they? Well, was a guy's Paul Webb actually. It was Paul um, and a couple of the other guys who lived local. So they were putting East on End. the parties
0: and then renting off the sound
1: system off you. That's what they started off. <coughs> when with, yeah. was the
0: when did it change? You went, hold on, man, I want to start throwing my own parties. Well,
1: what happened was there was a series of parties. Um they con- they were constantly getting raided, you know, but they you know because how they were just so, you know, so unorganized and it was pure chaos. So they'd go in, kick the door off, you know, they literally dropped the sound system in there create the noise, and it'll be a, a quick rush. Yeah. And um, it was round about that summer of 88, after going through that sort of madness, uh, the parties were all getting stopped. They were all coming to an end. And um, I had a friend, I met a friend, Wayne. He just got involved in the scene recently. And I said, look, I said, you know, I organise events. I've been doing it for a long time, you know. Let's see if we can put an organisation together and let's, have a crack at yeah. this. Anyway, I had all the equipment, had the lighting at this time, had them records because now I was obviously becoming an integral part of that scene. Yeah. At that time, it was actually only me and Cole Cox who used to rent our stuff out. So Cole was there. He was from Japan a night. Yeah. He'd come down from Brighton. He wouldn't even play actually, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Occasionally, Cole would get a, get a set. Yeah. And I used to come down from the End with my set anyway. I thought, okay. So Wayne said to me about a week later, listen, I thought i have got a warehouse." I said, okay. So one night we've crept around. Byalgate East Station, got this warehouse. I mean, it was the most hazardous place you've <laughs> seen in your life. There was no rails on the banister. There was holes in the floor. Yeah. We thought, it's going to have to do. Anyway, we patched the place up best we could sort of thing and uh, crept in there, obviously, do you know what I mean, during the day, set all the equipment up. There's quite a church mice and all yeah. that. Um, <laughs> went to the old place to get the flyers printed. We went in there and thought, okay, let's. what are we are going to call it? So you put the old basic flyer yeah. and uh, we thought, right, Let's put something on there that's a bit different anyway. He's gone through the different, you know, symbols, logos and artistries they've got, and we've seen a face of Zeus, the head. Yeah. thought, well, that'll do. Let's stick that yeah. on there anyway. Throwing the Zeus face on the picture, we're going to call the event. I'll never forget, Um, one used to like the group Genesis, you know, with Phil Collins yeah. and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, at the time, my mum was very biblical, you know. She had a Bible in every room in the house yeah. and all that. So you can't help coming across certain... Bible uh, chapters and bits and pieces, and obviously Genesis was the beginning. Yeah. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. Yeah. We're starting something brand new. You know, it's a powerful <laughs> theme, but a symbol of a Greek god. Let's go with Genesis. Yeah. So we went out with Genesis chapter one on the tenth of um, December, uh nineteen eighty-eight, and that was our first party. We uh, <laughs> crashed the warehouse people come flooding to it. And what sort of time? You got a party there in a warehouse. Well,
0: what sort of time would you open and we close? Started before mid- you get closed down.
1: We started at midnight basically. Yeah, okay. So it was midnight as the cubs are coming out They were crashing it into it. We the the place filled really, really quickly yeah. and it was really funny because at this time now, rather than just running when the police came, we thought we're gonna try to give it a blag. So uh the police <laughs> did arrive anyway. When the copper's at the front and Wayne obviously stuck Wayne up front because Wayne was quite a good, like you know, he was a good talker. Yeah, yeah. He was at the front with the copper and uh, because I going, talking to him, all of a sudden the alarm bells started going off. We thought, Jesus Christ. So the alarm bells going and he was talking to the policeman. <laughs> he's right to the police. He said, warehouse. Yeah. Anyway. What, are li- you telling the old bill that we own this warehouse? Yeah, we've made, right? legally. <laughs> video Quality. shoot. So it was a, a video <laughs> shoot. Anyway, we've took a... He's at the front talking to the copper. He's gone, just a moment, please. Anyway, he's got to give him a hammer. He's ran around, smashing off all the alarm bells. He's come back <laughs> round, straightened himself up and goes, sorry about that. He said, I couldn't find a key for the alarm. Anyway, by this time, a rave was at the front with his jaw going like that. And anyway, they tipped us out. But We had our first party. We closed out about 4, 4.30, but yeah. we'd planted the seed for what was to come, okay. you know, anyway. We then was in desperate search of a warehouse. And uh, that was a journey in itself because of course, you know, at that time the East End was full of old warehouses. Yeah. So we'd done like a little crawl every night looking around to find somewhere. Then one night we've gone past this warehouse on the back of um, back of Clapton, Hackney, yeah. you know, Least Side Road. So thought, what's going on? So we walked to this warehouse, this guy there, they got a turntable, um, three people in the warehouse having a party with three people. so we was like, look. It's beautiful warehouse, it's massive yeah. beautiful warehouse. you know um can we rent it off you no 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 all protective aren't they? anyway yeah. fuck it we can't get that gaff so we're still searching for the warehouse. we're getting quite desperate now christmas months are approaching yeah. Yeah. and um Keith wayne comes back and says, listen he said my pal from school he said he's got a warehouse but he wants to really come in with us what we're doing so at the time, I thought, you know, at the end of the day, we ain't got no warehouse. We might as well bring him along as well yeah. and see what we can do anyway. He's took us to this warehouse. He's took us to the same warehouse where the kids were in two Shit. weeks before. But he's got keys. Yeah. Got him. Okay, fair enough. It's game on. So anyway, that was the birth of Eastside Road. And uh, we had done a party there, which was Boxing Day.
0: So what sort of numbers are you talking?
1: Well, when we started off Because no one would have a
0: clicker Now there. you're talking
1: about <laughs> you're talking about realistically yeah. parties with two, three hundred people yeah. being big parties at that time. Yeah. Okay. So we arrived in um Leaside Road. We had a party for maybe no more than three, four hundred people yeah. on the first day, which was I think that was a uh, Christmas Eve. Yeah. And then the warehouse was great. That was an introduction party. And then we go in again, basically. And it was Boxing Day, you know? And the numbers started to swell. now. So we've gone from three, three and a half hundred people yeah. to six, seven and a half hundred people. Yeah. Anyway, we're in the warehouse one day because we're doing it up, we're cleaning it up, yeah. you know, making the best of we can. Because I think it's a legal warehouse, yeah. we're wearing keys. Yeah. <laughs> this fella comes in, <laughs> pair of glasses, he's got a fine suit on, one of them big old mobile phones. Back then there was yeah. a not a, like a suitcase. Not right? as like a suitcase. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. he's rolled in and I recognised him from before because there were other people doing parties at the time. And again, you know, a lot of people who came from, not from the East End, but they were kind of, you know, had, let's say, a better advantage than us in terms of upbringing. Anyway, his particular character was called Tony Colson hater right? So Tony's turned up. um, I recognised him straight away. And he said, I do Sunrise, you know. He said, we're an organisation, we're just setting up now. And, you know, it's a great warehouse. Can we, you know, come on board? Anyway, um, well, we he, thought, he wanted a JV, did he? Yeah, he wanted to come okay. on board, yeah. Okay. That's, how, that's okay. where that's how Sunrise really grew. They grew yeah. Genesis, yeah. you know? Okay. Anyway, so Tony's turned up and he said, look, I've bring a lot to the party. My crowd, basically, you know, are from the suburbs. We yeah. bring them in from everywhere, which was true. Yeah. And obviously he had quite a good um, contact as well because I don't, know, I, I don't know how he used to get these people around him. I mean, a fellow that he was knocking around was John McHugh. This is U2 stage manager, mm. right? Anyway, um, they was like, right, you know, we can get a really good lighting technician, a really good sound technician. We come in here. We could do these as joint venture anyway. We set about going for it, and we'd done it. So we went in there. We had a party like a few days after that. Now the numbers started to swell. We was up to 3,500 people. Was it? Now we were heading for New Year's Eve anyway. Now we've got all bells, all dancing, and the warehouse went up three floors yeah. and literally bent the road. Yeah. So it was never-ending yeah. warehouse. It was just, This place was absolutely <laughs> massive. So what we've done is now, New Year's Eve came. We were expecting a big party. So what we've done is now, we've got all the rubbish. You've got thousands of tins of soft, drink, empty soft drinks yeah. and all that. We've bagged them all up. We've got them all in black bags all over the fucking floor, everything like that. Anyway, all of a sudden, New Year's Eve, Coza walks into the warehouse. No. Proper one with his fat. He goes, Right. He said, um, I'm closing you down. He said, This is a fire hazard. Said, "Like, No, you ain't closing us down. This is a legal warehouse. Yeah. Anyway, he's gone. I am. He said, I'm coming back to the fire inspector. It's Fuck. <laughs> so we've got the dorm, and them times we <laughs> went, Dicky, bow ties, a penguin suit. They will grab these black bags. They've literally put them around the corner of the fire exit, throwing them all out the side. I mean, it's like a mountain of rubbish. Yeah. All the fire exits were blocked by yeah. this time. They had to get them off of the out of the Outside. warehouse, yeah, yeah. anyway he's come back with a fire inspector now what he's done is he's dragged the fire inspector out of his Christmas party right so he's really pissed yeah, off yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so he's turned up yeah. in there right come back in with a coser he's literally walked looked like that he's put his head round a corner it hasn't even looked properly otherwise you'll just see this massive fucking thing of, of, of um, yeah. black bags of rubbish he's turned around and got on the policeman that's fine they're fine to have their party in here. but of course that was it so we opened the doors New Year's Eve, and, I mean, hell, wind, and fire, mm. that was the night, you know? So we literally topped over 5,500 wow. people climbing. Wow. It was becoming something now which was almost getting out of control. Yeah. But what we were doing there, we were implementing little things that no one else was doing. We used to go out in the West End because, obviously, you know, we became really popular people on the circuit. Mm. We would become the epicenter of, you know, these young guys are uh, sort of, you know, doing these massive whereas yeah. parties. And... uh I remember we went to the Wag Club and it was outside. They used to have a guy there called Jerry and a WD. I think the guy was. They were partners. And they used to have um, walkie-talkies, the mobile cab. Anyway, I thought, wow, because of the parties, the whole element—no one's supposed to know where they are. They just turn up. I thought, let's get there. So, so, just
0: to explain this to listeners,
1: no one knew where the party was. Well, they did until yeah. well, lease side. An hour before, did. that's right. That was the tradition of yeah. warehouse parties. Yeah. But lease side rugby thought was completely legal. So we were. Repeating the event in the same place, yeah. thinking it's a bulletproof venue. Yeah. So, this is why the numbers were swelling so massively. Do you know what I mean? Because they weren't going to get closed down and kicked out. Anyway, here was a great adventure bringing Jerry to the events because Jerry was outside the events with his mobile cab office. Yeah. But the beautiful trade off was. All these cab drivers, I mean, loads of cab drivers were giving out tickets, flyers to our events. So every person leaving the West End at whatever time, kept... getting into a cab, he was saying, Listen, I know a party on, right? <laughs> Give them a fly and drive them now. So we found ourselves a situation whereas the surplus of the nightclubs in the West End, right, were all their punters were leaving from there, coming straight to us. <laughs> and it wasn't long before. They weren't going to the West End anymore. They were coming straight to us yeah. because they weren't going to buy overpriced drinks. They were going to come to us, pay one admission fee, and literally, you know, buy their drinks, buy their drugs, and they'll be staying there from 10 o'clock at night through to 8 o'clock next morning. Yeah, yeah It was good value for money. Yeah. Anyway, after New Year's Eve, we thought, you know, it's good to have to slow down. I mean, we were getting people coming through the door. I mean, the first night we had, big track at the time was... um. S-Express, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh Mark Moore and S-Express Group, they turned up the first night on East yeah. Side Road. Yeah. We had Mini Vanilli. They were the biggest yeah. global... They were massive, weren't they? Time. They won Grammys. Yeah, they were that's, absolute, right. The biggest, that's right. They were the biggest band yeah. group there was yeah. globally, you know? Yeah. They were down there. You know, Boy George was a regular. Yeah. You know, Pet Shop, everyone. You know, we were, at, as I said, epicentre of all this stuff. And come the following week after New Year's Eve, we were like thinking... No one ever goes out January 1st week of January. It's unheard of yeah. anyway. Um, so we're preparing there, expecting numbers to be scaled down. All well, that night, 8,000 people descended on Lee Side Road. Oh, my. Brought the complete place to a complete roadblock. And I mean, it was just massive. The place was heaving. Do you remember um, how much you were charging back then? Back then, we started for Fiverr, Fiverr when we first started. Yeah. Then we lifted it up to eight quid. Yeah. Then we quickly went up to tennis. And then though. with it, the drinks went up as well. So yeah. as we were getting more, yeah, 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 we started increasing. And there right? right. were still more people coming. And it was coming Politics. and coming and coming and coming anyway. And that's a lot of money, back 30 years ago. Yeah. So when you're rubbing them sort of numbers yeah. out, you're talking about money. And it wasn't a question of once a week. We're doing three parties a week. Yeah. Do you, do you, know you remember, so we do you remember the it? point where you're like,
0: I think we've hit the jackpot, lads?
1: Well, I'll tell you the truth, right? Because we were actually, we were actually driven by the music, we were driven by the atmosphere. Yeah. And we were driven by what we were in the centre of because we were suddenly the guys, everywhere we went with we VIP'd. Do you know what I mean? It was like that so kind traces. of thing. Yeah. We thought, hold on. <clears throat> we are actually, we've hit the jackpot and we've discovered something and this scene's moving around us. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, uh, after that event, we thought, that's it. We're absolutely golden ticket. Then, middle of the week, police come back, say, um, this warehouse is a squat. But of course, we've had 8,000 people there <laughs> and we've given out, four times the amount of flyers now for the next Saturday. Yeah. So you're probably going to get 10,000 people descend on Side Road that Saturday night. Now, the police, to put it anyway, were not a sophisticated outfit back then in yeah. terms of, you know, being able to logistically move around yeah. police. And it's funny because there was a documentary a few years back, a National Geographic documentary, which I was interviewed on, and uh, Ken Tapperton, this was the fellow that was made um, head of the – uh, the pay party Didn't unit did he say that he would like to have you on the firm that's what he said <laughs> <laughs> he said, A copper, I remember. He, said right, he would love to have had us as his so lieutenant so how we move people around yeah. was unbelievable and what we'd done was as sophisticated unsophisticated as it is I'll tell you we got to that you know so that night when the party's supposed to happen it can't happen but the police were frustrated because they think, what are going to do if 10,000 people turn out yeah. in the middle of acne and just disperse them in acne? So what we'd done was we had a police car at one end of the road, a police car at the other end of the road. we have broken it into a different warehouse this time in Canning Town and the police were giving out flyers. Just to keep the peace. So when the people were turning up, they were giving a flyer to a Genesis party to say <laughs> the party's been moved, right? So we had the old boot at both ends of the one road two. getting police given out anyway. So that was the height of it. Anyway, we've done that party, and then after that, we had to constantly keep moving. So we thought, how are we going to be able to move around now and still gather the crowds and get the crowds bigger, and we need to be reliable? So what we've done was we created two meeting spots one was side Road because we knew it had been an established venue yeah. and it was back, back streets of warehouses so it wasn't really too much of a disturbance the other one was Wolframstone Dog Track because mm. the dogs used to be on back then days at a massive car park opposite That's right, yeah. and by you know I think 10 o'clock they closed yeah. so after that car park was empty yeah. so I had a friend funny enough he became a professional boxer Scrap Iron Ryan at the time Paul into the box anyway he had a moped we used to put Paul down at Walthamstow Dog Track. And another fellow, we put another, um, uh, the, the other meeting spot. Because Tony had the big mobile phone back yeah. then, yeah. it means we had communication. So we broke into the warehouse. We had the communication. So there was always a phone box somewhere, and he had a pager because yeah. pagers oh, were we yeah, the age. Right. So what we'd do is when we had the warehouse, when everything was set up, when we was ready to go now, we'd page him, he'd go to the phone box, we'd tell him where it was, and what he'd do is, Jump on his moped, and all the cars will follow behind in convoy. So they have two massive convoys, hundreds of cars, literally yeah, yeah. behind these mopeds. Now, if the police now wanted to jump on it, they're at the back of the convoy. Yeah. So no matter what they'd done, by the time we got to where the warehouse was, remember it could be anywhere. Yeah. Right. So you're going through. If the police are in Acne they could end up in Edmonton, and they could end up
0: yeah anywhere, anywhere, yeah, anywhere yeah, yeah, in yeah. Essex.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. So they're at the back of the convoy. All the people arrive, and as we Arrived at the warehouse, everybody would descend on the warehouse at once. So, by the time the police were able to organise themselves, get X amount of police to turn up, it was too late. The warehouse was, was informed. Yeah. So, they can't let all these people out suddenly because we got them in a like, almost a gun to their head situation. Mm. Anyway, that was what we were doing and we were going through it. And uh, it was a series of parties, but it was all about the front, you know? Mm. So, Wayne was our front man. We'd stick Wayne out every time the police turned up. We'd create a bogus lease. So We'd go into the estate agents, we'd get one of those, tear off the top bit of the paper, yeah, yeah and then we'd type this bogus letter to pretend it's a, a video shoot for a music yeah. business party. So he'd be out there in his jacket, telling the police it's George Michael's um, thing. You'd have old Bill going like, what? Yeah, yeah, Elton John's going to be here in a minute. You'd have the police outside wanting autographs and all that. It was a madness. And we had them parking cars at yeah. one stage, right? Anyway, as we were doing it, it was getting we were becoming almost legendary. Like yeah. It was like a mad thing, and everyone knew the blag with Genesis, yeah. how we were moving around. I remember one day, we found an amazing... We, actually, because after a while, estate agents got to know us, and a lot of these guys were young, and they wanted to be involved in yeah. what we were doing. So people had often to sell us um, keys for warehouses, which were for let, not even for let, for sale, in their estate agents' yeah. firm. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We had their own knowing. And I remember one day, had a beautiful place in Enfield. Anyway, we turned up there nice and early. It stored furniture, like the, well, yeah, the storage, yeah, yeah, but yeah, all one space. So we've seen all this, all this stuff: settees, sofas, you know, televisions, the whole lot. But we're not thieves, right? We're promoters, yeah. right? So we've got the guys to move all this stuff to the back of the warehouse. Literally pack it out. Anyway. Thank God the banners weren't up, the sand system wasn't in. I used to put sawdust down as well to absorb the drink when it spilled. Instead, of the guys were kicking about a football in the warehouse. Anyway, I've heard at the door. I've now thought this, um, the sandman come in to set the system up. So I've walked, as I've walked, it wasn't a wooden door, it was two of them big clear glass yeah. panels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen two police and an old boy with a oh, flat God. cap looking straight at me. I thought, nothing I could do, I've got to try something. But I've got the keys, remember. Sort of
0: flag it. Give
1: him a five hundred quid for <laughs> the keys. Yeah. So I've gone to the door, opened it up, a scrap, mate. you're under arrest, geese look at me, I've gone, we talk about an arrest, you my dad's warehouse. And the guy's looked, he's drew his eyes back, right? The police has looked at him and he's gone, you Mr. Jenkins' his son then. As he said that the light bulb's gone on. I've gone, yeah. He's gone, he's not supposed to be there on Monday. I said, I know, I said, but he said he's got stuff coming in, wants me to clear it up. <laughs> so they've walked in the main thing now. No one's heard the conversation. So this his two old Bill and his geezer walking on them. So everyone's like, fuck, little nicks, right? Anyway, he's gone. What's happened? He said, I've got a silent alarm. He's gone, you've tripped it. I go, really? He's gone, yeah, let me show you. So he's got with his two old Bill. We've got this little room. He's gone, right, this is the combination. He's punched in his code, right, and gone, this is what you've got to do, he said. Writed down, he's written a code down for me. The police has looked at him and goes, so what, he's supposed to be? There? He said, his dad just bought a warehouse. Yeah. He's gone, you're a good kid, he said, yes. so. He said, my son's a bum. He said, all he does is goes out, he said, on the weekend. You don't sit for two <laughs> days, right? He's talking about the warehouse parties, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's gone, you know, he said, oh, it's good to see the work ethic. You know what <laughs> I mean? Some people's children's got and all that. Anyway, I thought, oh, fuck, I can't believe we got away with this. Anyway, that night, of course... It's descended. Again, the party's at them, bam, bam, bam. Anyway, i never forget it. So all of a sudden, I've looked out the top top glazed window, right? People are still coming in now. Now we've got a unit of police looking for us because we've been doing this religiously week in, week out. Anyway, I've looked across. I've seen this old boy in his pyjamas, a nightgown yeah. with the police, yeah? <laughs> so if they've called him out of bed to say they've had us over. Yeah. And the cousins are upset because, again, we've barefaced tricked them as well. Anyway, they're over the thing. So, I've gone, Wayne, you've got to go out and blag it, right? after knowing what's <laughs> happened in that day. So, as Wayne goes to the door they just arrest him, I goes, right. so he goes, right. So, he's trying to struggle. I say, listen. I says, you're next. He goes, if you nick me, he said, who's going to stop it? Right? So, they thought about it, and they've gone, right, go back in there and empty the warehouse. So he's walked back in the warehouse. He's
0: gone, fuck it, what am
1: I going to do? I said, we have a party, wait. He said, no, no, he got cold. He says, they've got my face. <laughs> they've got my brief. He's gone, if this goes on, I'm nicked. Yeah. And he was thinking, oh, man, party or get my get party or get party or okay. game. And my conscience wouldn't allow it. So I've gone, come on in. Let's see, Anyway, one of the cousins walked in. He's seen, he's sussed It he ain't completely full yet. So he's walked back outside and gone, right if you don't empty it now, the right score's coming in. Well, no. I thought, oh, he mate, said, I He could,
0: said what, the right score's coming in? If you don't empty in. it now,
1: the right score's wow. coming in. So they've got old Bill Cross now, they've got the shields, yeah. out, the buttons, they've got the batons, they've got the We don't need this. Because I had this before once yeah. at the beginning of the scene. I remember one day at that time. How, impor-
0: um, How important was the ecstasy scene coming in at that it was, time for it was your massive. Parties? It was
1: massive. It was massive. Anyone that says it wasn't will be lying, you know. How massive? Um, it was, I would say, ecstasy in at that time in those parties was ninety nine percent of what those parties were really about, yeah. and anyone that says it wasn't, would be lying. Yeah. You know. So the scene
0: before that was all about alcohol, booze, trouble, the clients, and then the scene that you created was ecstasy rave scene, everyone loving each other. It and was partying.
1: it was mad because the scenes before those, yeah. okay, you know, the local pub was called the Flying Bottle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that was what it was like. Literally, yeah, yeah? yeah. it was a lot of people from different. You had two, you had two separate scenes, okay. You had a white scene which you know, the white guys were dominantly football hooligans, a lot yep. of those guys, yeah. So you had the different firms. You had Chelsea, you had West Ham, you had Tottenham, you had Arsenal, you know what I mean? You had those kind of people who would go to certain kind of pubs, yeah. certain kind of drinking clubs. Yeah. It was very clicky. Then the black scene, do you know what I mean, which were like the soul blues, like the uh, reggae, you had that, and that was clicky as well. So you had these two clicky sort of scenes And these extremes now. Yeah. I'm not talking about the middle woker ones that yeah, I that's talked what, about yeah. earlier. Yeah. you got the two extremes, but it, two extremes suddenly – Wanted to be part of this scene. So when they were going, they were dropping a pill yeah. and everything was forgotten about. Yeah. So they'd be arch enemies. And I mean, well, we had it.
0: In the stadium, ICF, in the city firm, other firms listen, in the day it, and then nighttime the day, loving each
1: in other. In the day, they used to go around because a lot of our doormen were connected to the ICF, yeah. you know? Colton, and, Colton uh, Leach? Colton, yeah, Colton's yeah. first. So Colton was one of, we had 12
0: doors, we had, we had a firm. So when you were throwing these parties, did you ever have the fear that someone's going to come in as a promoter, as a young 20-year-old, going, yeah. I'm taking 20 grand, 50 grand, hundred grand, 200 grand. Do
1: you ever have the, the fear that someone would come in and try to take the money off you? Would, that would have happened all day long. Yeah. There was no question of that about that. And um, understand back then, there were people, especially the areas we were doing parties in, were doing armed robberies. And yeah. I mean, one individual... He went and robbed somewhere and he <laughs> and he grabbed over a copper, threw him in the boot of the car and was driving around with him in the back of the car. Do you know what I mean? And that was the level of armed robbery back yeah. then. They yeah. were fearless people, yeah. right? So to turn up at a door and stash 100, 200 grand yeah. is a massive payday when yeah. they're putting their liberty on the line every day for 20 quid. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was one of them ones. It was like, we're going to get robbed there. We've got to get robbed yeah. there. But when... Um, the our door came in basically. Who right? had the idea
0: of going? Look, we need to get protection. Well, the Is thing was this.
1: Well, now it was quite a mad thing because we all decided we had to step up the security. Yeah. And it was Wayne's dad. He used to work as a regular doorman at one of the clubs in uh, Mile End, yeah. and uh, he worked as quite a good little further doorman. And uh, parties were getting quite clicky. And he said, "Look," he said, "he's going to bring in a little team that can, um, you know, work. We can work with anyway." That team was a crew of 12 people. They were all very well-known people. A lot of them were, you know, connected to the ICF. Several of them were armed robbers. And they were heavy people. They could hold their own, you know, a lot of them were, you know, um, um, kickboxing, you know, champions. And guys that could really have a tear up but could also were game. You know, they'd go out and do the work all day long. So. They became our security. Now, we put them in wages at yeah. first, which was decent wages. What, more than they would earn elsewhere? Much more, yeah, because yeah, okay. I think back then they were in £50 a night. That's yeah. what dorms getting roughly, paid. roughly, what were you giving we up? them? We were giving them to us. Tour- so I even think- though it was nothing, yeah. <laughs> it was still a massive amount yeah. of money yeah. for a regular doorman. Anyway, yeah. as the party started to really get big, right, basically, and I forget one night, so it was up there in a warehouse. This was at Ferry Lane, and uh, the place absolutely mobbed, absolutely heaving. All of a sudden, all the doormans come up to the office. It's like, what's going on? And they're like, look, this can't work like this. We need to be part of the thing anyway.
0: Oh, they wanted a cut of the we thing? a cut anyway. Oh, okay. So it's
1: like, that's so we're all sitting there thinking, yeah. hold on, right? You know, who the fuck's number one looking after the door? Yeah. And number two, this ain't how you turn up. Come yeah. and put it on people anyway, yeah. right? So, Did they put it on you? Yeah, because, yeah, listen, at the end of the day, if I was person that like I was when I was their age yeah. I would have done it yeah. to a 20 or a 19 year yeah. old yeah. if I saw that I money coming the through the door come yeah, okay. on right yeah. and even at that point to be honest with you i put it in my head for, hold on they want 25% there's 12 of them of the door right 25% of the door there's 12 of them they've got to split that between them 12 ways yeah. they're putting their life and they live it on offer yeah. right and they are putting it on offer because yeah. there's other firms that would have come through that door believe me and do what they have to do to take that money yeah. right and I thought, at the end of the day, we've got them now as well because anything we want them to go and do, they'll go and do. It. And they literally would. Yeah. So it was a position Whereas I thought, no-brainer. Yeah. Let's have them on. Yeah. Anyway, we brought them in, right, quick decision. They dad's, Wayne's dad wasn't happy because they sort of muscled over the top of him. Yeah. But it was just business, yeah. do you know what I mean? Nothing personal. Yeah. And um, we had them as our firm. But, of course, that, I suppose, was the beginning of the end because what they then done was they enjoyed the status of being part of Genesis. Yeah. And then they were doing other doors because other people were saying to them, you know, wow, this is a great door. Um, You know, can we use the security? But, of course, they weren't thinking like they were thinking like they was with us because they weren't with us properly. They were thinking, fuck that, we'll take them over. And then suddenly you found a scenario where the firm was moving across Essex and was taking over all the doors. Okay. So (laughs) even worse, they called themselves the G-Force. Now, the police... And this is the West Ham ICF. Yeah, pretty well, much yeah,
0: back uh, then, the, headed the, up by I, Colton. I'd, I'd say
1: that yeah, the, 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 I'd say five out of the twelve yeah. were predominant members of the ICF. Yeah. You know, Colton obviously. I'll mention Colton. Um, the others I'm not going to talk about. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. My friends, but I don't want to yeah. necessarily yeah, yeah, you know yeah. start talking about yeah. them unless yeah. I said to them you know yeah. I'm going to call you out yeah. on this one. You know, but you know they were all they were loyal. They were all to us. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If there was an incident, you could phone them up ten o'clock at night. Listen. Something's got to be done. And they were going to do it without a blink of an eye. Do you know what I mean? So there was never grievance with them. Do you know what I mean? Like that. But what they did do is, where they were moving so rapidly through the club scene and they were being known as the G-Force, the police couldn't (laughs) separate Genesis from the G-Force. So in the police's eyes, we'd been up there, Wayne, Keith and Andy, as Genesis. So Genesis is taking over the club scene and all the doors not the oh, G4 oh, to the doorman it wasn't the ICM <clears throat> okay. we're okay. coming in we're making a move to take out the club scene yeah so so you were getting caught up accidentally Were you're just a promoter you're duty getting duty caught by up by association the yeah of course right, right okay. so all of a sudden we became you know the target for the police yeah and then our associations with people well, my association with a lot of people as well were seasoned villains yeah so what happened is where well, I was getting caught in their robos and they were then murdering, quite, all kinds of mad things was going on. Every now and again, the police would be coming through my door. Do you know what I mean? Looking for someone who's done a murder or something mad yeah, like that. Yeah. So it was becoming now from a friendly promoter yeah. to moving into a different, different yeah. you know, he didn't sign up for that. Yeah, was changing And you're still 20 post. or early 20s. 21 years old. Okay. Do you know what I mean, right? So now it's becoming a madness anyway. The parties came to a Grinding halt because the police had really clamped down on us.
0: Do you, remem- do you remember any of these parties, how much money you were taking out of them?
1: We were at the time, right? Because a lot of this sometimes is greatly exaggerated. Yeah. But when we had those sprees of parties yeah. at Lee Road, on those we could rack up off, off of the three parties we were doing, we were taking out £180,000, £200,000. That was out of bars, that was out of takings, and that was a huge yeah, amount huge. of money. That's 30 years ago. Huge though. amount of money. Yeah. So if you take that money now, as you said, 30 years ago Double and it. put it to today's money, you're talking about taking over well out a million quid yeah. all day long. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. For what you could buy 30 years ago. for 200
0: grand times five. Is, going to, is that what it is? Times five, right? At least five. Oh, wow. you think, well, if you
1: bought a car back then, what would a car cost you back then? Yeah. If you bought a Mercedes Sports back then, yeah, like, brand new is £50,000. Yeah. The same AMG Mercedes Sports is 100, £125,000, yeah. £130,000. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you can yeah. give it balance to Whatever that. Whatever it is, it's a big number. Even look at the <clears> basics. That's, how did
0: you feel? How did you feel being a twenty-year-old kid, really a kid still, wasn't it? Twenty-year-old, you were a kid, and you were you were drawing, splitting it three ways with your mates, and you were taking fifty bags, thirty grand, forty you grand, felt, 30 grand,
1: You felt invincible. Yeah. You felt untouchable. You felt it was the greatest thing. You know, you felt the centre of the universe, didn't you? You know, because every twenty-one-year-old wants to do that. Yeah. because you're going to turn up at any club, literally any club. You're greeted. You'll never pay for a drink. VIP, everyone's yeah. throwing champagne at it. VIP yeah. in you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Everywhere you go, everyone's ring- your ears are ringing. Everyone's talking about you, yeah. you know? And you love all that. It's yeah. great. But yeah. the biggest mistake we made, the biggest mistake we made, which I really regret, is we were business people. Yeah. You know, we are young people who music music. We Entrepreneurial, though. Yeah. Entrepreneurs yeah. Yeah, 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 not yeah. business people. There's yeah, a big difference yeah. between being an entrepreneur yeah. and being a businessman. Yeah. A businessman would have... Trademarked everything. Yeah. Okay. And would have created a brand. Yeah. Okay. A businessman is the model that Minister of Sand became. Yeah. We were there before them. Yeah. And we were a far bigger brand than them. So all we had to do was not let our egos get so inflated. Separate ourselves from the villainry. Yeah. And move towards the business side of things. And it would be a different story now. You wouldn't be talking about the parties and talking about other stuff I wanted to do. Yeah, we'd be talking about you know the launch of the record label, yeah, that's right. or all the other magazines stuff, not, magazines, yeah, 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 the clothing yeah, yeah. brands, yeah. Yeah. all the stuff that would have went with that gravy train. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But there's no an saying, and that's that you can't put a uh, you know a young head and old shoulders. Yeah. you just can't do it. You have to learn from experience. Did, did
0: you have a mentor anywhere? Or was it just learn off the cuff?
1: Back those days, no, I learned no. off the cuff. You know, yeah. it was I was on my own journey. Yeah. You know, I loved music. That was enough to drive me. And, you know, that was it. It was at that stage. It was a new, because you could, you could get a mentor in terms of, you know, who could teach you about, you know, logistics just so much, Didn't they? Just someone
0: who's been there before and got the t-shirt to go, you know what I'd do now is so I'd create a trademark. I'd Get in contact with a lawyer like later back on. you nah. probably wasn't even talked
1: well, about. Well, later on in life, I did. You know, yeah. when I moved into the festival arena, yeah. I did have a mentor, an amazing mentor. Yeah. You know, but back then we didn't have There was no examples because yeah. it was a brand new thing. No one had seen this before. Yeah. Remember, we had club owners coming to us from the west end, very experienced, known club owners yeah. were coming to us in the week and going, "Look, we want to buy in." Yeah, because this was something no one had seen before. So it was all young to everybody, do you know what I mean? It was so, at the beginning of it, really, you know. Why do you think that rave scene was so successful for you? I think a few things happened. It wasn't just down to one thing and being lucky. It was a sequence of events. It was sequence of events, number one. It was a political environment we lived in. It was, you know, Thatcher. um, There was a lot of, you know, the stock market had went down. You know, people were really suffering. You know, a lot of unemployment was out there. These areas being really run into the ground and people weren't feeling great. So you had young people who wanted to do something to rebel. Now, usually that revolts in violence or it in some sort of rebellion. The injection of ecstasy coming into that made everyone love everyone. Yeah. So what it done? It put an ephorium together so people could go out, they could take that drug and they could feel great and they could feel united. Yeah. And what it done was it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And it looked at it as a movement. But not a movement of hate and anger or the stuff that kids do today. Yeah. It was looked at as a movement of love. Do you know what I mean? Everyone got in with everybody. You know, everyone mixed together. You know, and that was a cultural melting pot at that time, which you've never seen since in any shape or form, you know. I think that was the heart of the success of that. The timing was perfect, you know. They wanted something new. There hadn't been a new culture in terms of fashion and music since punk rock. You know, there'd been ska, there'd been other stuff that had come in, but it had all been reinvented. It would have been around once before, but this was brand new. You know, and people loved it because they could associate to it.
0: Did you bring your own dealers in for your own events, or no. was it just or was it like free for all? No. Everyone crack no. on as Back long as I'm then, taking the door no. money and the bar.
1: Back then, yeah. right? Um, how those the warehouses worked. We were too busy doing what we were doing, which was actually organising the events yeah. and making money from the bar, making money from the um, from the door. Yeah, People didn't take long. People did realise yeah. this is a great network. Yeah. And you did have more organised groups then who were then being able to put their own people in there and they could then, you know, obviously, you know, hold a good capture of ecstasy mm. and a great market, mm. you know. Now, later on, okay, when the parties did yeah. stop,
0: what year were what year we talking the party stopped? The
1: party stopped for us in 1990. That was when okay. basically the Freedom Starts campaign happened. Yeah. It had all been brought to a grinding halt. Yeah. And basically after that, as I said, the ministry opened and they were ready now to relook at licensing in okay. a different way. By putting
0: people into proper clubs.
1: Into proper clubs. Okay. So the breweries, understand, took a hit yeah. during this period of time because people weren't really drinking. Yeah. Pubs were empty. Yeah. So they had a lot of power and influence in Parliament. Yeah. I think that had a lot of influence in closing a stand prematurely, definitely, you know, to get them back into the clubs. Because you know, it's the licensing changed, yeah. you know. It went that people could stay in and they could drink in clubs all night and pubs right. because it had to come around, you know. We were living in this kind of dark ages almost in terms of clubs. And when you go to New York places like that in Holland, they're open all night. Yeah. But we were there living 11 o'clock, it all closes yeah. down, you know. So that was sort of where... That journey had kind of, you know, fanned us there. We were kind of left. The music had stopped. We were left without a chair, basically, right, because we didn't look at clubs. We weren't going, you know, into that route. Whereas this was our thing, and that was where it was. Um, Like anything, though, I am an entrepreneur. I do look at opportunities, and it was inevitable. The next business that would come would be ecstasy because I'd seen it. I'd seen the money that was being made at the parties, I had every contact in the world yeah. in terms of, you know, they all went to the parties, so we were plugged in, you know. Opportunity came to me, and, um, you know, people I knew were closely involved with the manufacturing and import of products.
0: From what country?
1: Holland. Holland, you know? okay. And, you know, uh, there was a, I had access to a really good pill, which called a Love Dove back yeah. then. You know, it was, you know, it was perfectly weighed, you know, had a split in the middle, so people could, you yeah. know, two in yeah. two, yeah. take half and half, yeah. you know, and it was a good, clean pill. Yeah. So it was the first, one of the first branded pills that people could rely on.
0: Yeah.
1: And I got involved, you know, in the distribution of that in a massive way. And, you know, the clubs, contacts I had, because a lot of people we knew now were, you know, running those clubs, taking over those doors. And generally at the heart of it, and, what really blew it was super clubs because yeah. where you had regular little pub clubs, people were now going and opening massive, massive That's venues. Right. So there was serious money <clears> Two, 3,000 three, legit. Yeah. Got it. Two, 3,000 right, yeah. legit. That's do right. you know what I mean? <clears throat> so this is where the real, you know, heave of money was starting to come in now through extra distribution, having yeah. access to those places, you know? And uh, that was when I crossed over because until that point, I was actually a legitimate promoter, yeah. you know, all intentions and purposes. Yeah. So there was two routes to go. One route would have been to try to revert back to music, you know. And Being a go promoter with the legitimate clubs. A promoter, clubs, legitimate or? clubs, or move with a villainary. Yeah. And I chose at that time to step over to the villainary.
0: And what age you were know? you there?
1: Uh, 22. 22, okay. You know, I was a young man still, you know. So that was my entry, baptism by fire, into yeah. serious crime. Yeah. And uh, then I it just excelled, you know. Um, I was in a situation. Um, a lot of heat was coming down on me. And, uh, on the was, ease? On the ease and other you know other things. Yeah. And um, I decided it was a good time to leave the country.
0: That ends the first part of my deep dive into the eventful life of Andrew Pritchard. Join us again next week for part two as we talk about Andy's life on the run, how he became a drug kingpin of a smuggling empire, and when it all came crashing down. Trust me, you do not want to miss this next episode.